By the way, thank you for that song, Mina, and my understanding is she's ministered uh, yesterday. There's potentially one or maybe even two of the women who came to salvation, so we praise the Lord for that ministry uh, yesterday, and we look forward to tonight. Also, to my pleasant surprise, I see and welcome all of you, but when I see once in a while a family member sneak in here from out of town, happens to be my new grandchild must be here today, so if you see me beaming, it's because my new grandchild somewhere in this building, <laughs> because my daughter's here and so is my son-in-law. Good, uh, that was a nice surprise this morning. Okay, in uh, John chapter 20, I've entitled this morning the commission, this message, the commission and the power. Last week, we were, as we were in this text, and we just should note this so we know a little bit of the context of where we are, the disciples had gathered, as we see from our text, and as we noted in comparing the gospel accounts, there are at least 10, and most commentaries say this is actually to the 10. Well, as you compare the gospel accounts, we know that there are at least 10 there, but there were probably and possibly more, the two men from, the two people from Emmaus, and also uh, others who had gathered, as you compare the gospel accounts, there was probably more. We know that Thomas had left the room, and we know that possibly others have as well, and certainly by this time, Judas was dead. But as we put everything in its historical context, one thing's sure, they are in a room, and they are fearful for their lives. They are concerned. It is a genuine situation where you have believers you have followers of Christ, people that have been taught, and they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. They are behind locked doors in a room, and as they're in the room, they are specifically scared, as we learn, because the Jewish authorities in the context would probably come, and they know that they were going to suffer, and their Messiah, their leader, has been crucified, and now they're confused about all the stories. Is he risen? Is he not risen? Some have seen him, some haven't. And they are genuinely fearful, even as believers. And yet we find the Lord Jesus Christ comes into their midst. We talked about that. It's a miraculous entry. It is still on the day of resurrection. It's been a very big day and a very full day of even appearances, resurrection appearances of the Lord. And as he's in their midst, uh, he calms them down. And he talks about their fears in the sense that he says, peace be with you. And we applied that last week as we looked at the text because still it is Jesus Christ who is able to still the storms of all of our lives, even as believers. And he is able, as we look to him and we realize that he's still in control as he comes into their midst, He's still in control of things, and he calms the disciples down. And he does that by, first of all, identifying himself, and we saw the significance of that just very quickly. It's not really the nail prints in his hands, as we saw last week, or in his feet, as important as that is, because many people were crucified that way. One of the unique things about John's gospel, and remember, as we're almost there again, John, everything that he's written, he has written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you might have life through his name. Everything he writes. And he is the one who specifically says, oh, he showed them his hands, but he showed them what was unique to Christ, his side, because he had been pierced. And unlike others who have been crucified and had bones broken, he was crucified but it was his side that was pierced in fulfillment of scripture. And now they knew the 10. Now Thomas isn't there yet. This is the Messiah. And they are rejoicing now. And they know, we noted also since the resurrection, it's a physical body able to be conscious, able to communicate, able to eat, as we saw he even ate fish there. Uh, all of that to help us to see what is promised in Corinthians, that there is a resurrected body, and this resurrected body that we look forward to is a real body. And it is able to communicate. It will be a conscious body. It will be able to eat from the fruit trees in heaven. And it is a wonderful thing, and the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a glimpse of that as we have seen that. So just remember, and hold on to that one again for this morning, 
that it was Jesus Christ we saw last week that is able to calm the storm, able to still their hearts, and able to give them encouragement and assurance in their lives as he is for us today. But as we come to the last section of this, verses 21 to 23 this morning, we come to what I've entitled his commissioning and the power behind that commission. Now when we think of the commission, and you want to look at verse 21 now, allow me to read it again. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father sent me, I also send you. When we think of the Great Commission, probably the majority of you right now, your mind would go back to Matthew 28. Because anyone that ever preaches on the Great Commission, that's where they are. It's Matthew 28, where we are to make disciples of all nations. And it says before that, that Jesus Christ was given all authority. He gave them power. And as they make disciples, they were to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And most all missionary even messages center on that as the Great Commission. Well, in a sense, it's the Great Commission, but it's only part of it. Others often think of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and rightly so. Because in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, the Lord, before he ascended, said, You shall be witnesses to me. And he went into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and out of the outermost part of the world. And there's a lot of application there to us as well, not only for his disciples, but that we are to spread the gospel and that is to go in our communities and so forth and so on. And that is seen also as part of the Great Commission. But I would challenge you this morning, and even uh, those who might hear the message, would we think of John chapter 20 as the Great Commission? But it is. We see again. He's referring to it. And uh, in this passage, while he's talked about witnessing in, in Acts chapter 1, while he talked about making disciples in Matthew chapter 19, in this, passage is, in this passage before us, he is clearly commissioning them, and it is all part of the Great Commission. In fact, they all go together. And my personal opinion as a pastor, having studied the Word of God, is if you leave any one of them out, you're missing something. Because it's in all involved. We are to witness. We are to make disciples. And this one is very important. We are to be sent as Christ was sent into the world. And it's part of the Great Commission here. His peace is with us. We don't lose that. We might lose the peace of God at any particular moment, but we have peace with God because of our salvation in Christ. And as the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world, he is now sending his disciples, and by extension, as we'll see in just a moment, also you and I into the world as his witnesses to what? Give a lot of good news, as we will talk in a few moments. But as we come to this text, since we, and I do believe that expositional preaching is the way to teach the word of God, that's the advantage now as we come to John chapter 20. Is this a surprise? It shouldn't be. He's been teaching it throughout the gospel according to John. For time's sake, I'm just going to go to where it really is referring back to. Go with me to John chapter 17. Remember, as we talk, this is truly the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven is a great prayer, but that is not the Lord's Prayer because he really didn't pray that. He just showed them this as a, a sample. This is what he prayed. This is the Lord's Prayer as we studied it together. It's John chapter 17 because these are the words that he prayed to the Father. And it's important to our text, so I'm going to take a little time, even though we have studied it, to read it, and then I will summarize to recall to memory for those who were here for those who were not, to give you the benefit of the text. But in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6, I want you to notice, and I will read through verse 19 first. He says, I have manifested, because this is how he was sent, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now <clears throat> they have come to know that everything that you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. All of this is important to the Great Commission. He gave us the words that the Father gave him, and now we know that it's true, and it says he's now given them, and they've received it and truly understood that I came from you, that Jesus is the Messiah. And notice this. I ask on their behalf, 
I do not ask on behalf of the world. Remember this? He was not praying for the world. He was praying for believers, for the disciples at this stage. And he says, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and all yours are mine. And I have, I have been glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. Remember, he's, getting, he's going to leave. And yet they themselves, here it is, are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them, very important to our text, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them that no one of them, catch this, and no one of them perish, but the son of perdition, so the scriptures would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have, watch, my joy, what's happening in our text, they're rejoicing, made full in them. I have given them your word, and the world, watch this, has hated them. They're about to experience that because they are not of the world. How? Watch. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. See, they were going to stay. He goes on. They are not of the world, very important to our text, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify or set them apart. How? In the truth which they had received. What is that? Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. It is just overwhelming what he's coming to and talking about in chapter 20, where he has given the word. He's identified that he's the Christ. He's talked about the Father. He came to do the Father's will. And now he's praying for his disciples. And in Acts, uh, sorry, John chapter 20, he's now commissioning to do what he's prayed for. And it isn't only them. Look very quickly at verse 20. I do not ask on their behalf alone, but for those, and this is you and me, also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Same message. And glo the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them, that's you and me as believers, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in, catch it, remember our study, in unity. So what? That the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Now I could keep going on, I think you get the point. When we come to John chapter 20, He's already been speaking to the disciples. He's already prayed regarding the commissioning and regarding how they would be sent. Remember this, that the believers were selected. The believers had come, those that had come to trust in Christ, they had believed the gospel. They understood the message. They had believed. And now they had been prayed for. For what? Not to leave the world, hold on to that one, but to be in the world and yet to be kept. In what way? You will never lose your salvation no matter what circumstances of life, no matter what comes your way, no matter how depressed, no matter how discouraged, no matter what comes along. Because we're kept by his power. And not only are we kept by him, but he prayed for our protection from the evil one, that is from Satan as we studied. Remember, our, my students in high school are studying this with me right now. Satan is nothing more, catch this this morning, nothing more than one created angel. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He is all the other things that are associated with God. He can only be in one place at one time. And so we are always bothered about what Satan's doing in our life. Listen, 
Satan could probably care less about Pastor Dan because there's bigger people for him to attend to. All he uses is demons. But that ought to be an encouragement to you, an encouragement to me. The Lord's Prayer is successful. We are protected from Satan, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we always have victory. We always have victory. How did he set us apart? Grab this this morning. Remember in John chapter 17, Jesus was set apart. What set him apart from all the other people that said he was, they were messiahs or that they were prophets? He was the true one, yes. He was set aside by the word of God. That's what it said in John 17. He was set apart that way, and he said, set them apart by the truth. Thy word is truth. We have been sent into the world and set apart by the word of God. That what distinguishes us. We know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because the word of God says he is and is also the prophecies and everything else. We go in and it isn't our message that changes the world. Catch that one this morning. It's not our intellect. It's not our wisdom. But it is the power, Hebrews, of the word of God that's able to penetrate to the spirit and soul, dividing that asunder and even getting to the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why it's through the foolishness of preaching that people come to the gospel. God's not only chose how, uh, the, the way of salvation, but how people get saved. It's through the preaching of the word. And he's going to commission his disciples to go forth and preach the same message, the same good news, and to be equipped with the word of God. That's how they're to be set apart. That's how you and I are to be set apart. And it points to us being the representatives of Christ. What a privilege. What a tremendous commissioning that they had. And he starts again in our text. All of that's just really background. He starts in our text, and he says for the second time, notice that in uh, this verse, as you look at it, when you come to verse 21, for the second time he says, peace be with you. Why? Why would he repeat peace be with you? You think we might need it? You think we might get fearful? Remember last week? Look back to chapter 16 for a minute. Again, it's just, I just get thrilled when I study through a book because you look through the book and you say, well, he already laid the foundation. It was already there. You had it in your responsive reading. I won't read all the responsive reading. Let me get to the heart of it. Look at verses 32 and 33 of chapter 16. This is great. Behold, the hour is coming, how's this for encouragement? And already has come for you to be scattered. Oh, thanks. Right? You are going to run for your lives. Then he says this, each to his own home and to leave me alone. The Messiah. Did that happen? Yes, it did. And yet I'm not alone. Why? You want to catch this. He's sending us the same way. He said, but I'm not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. Is the Father with you as a believer? You better believe it. Now watch. These things I have spoken to you so that, watch these next two words. Where? In me. In me you might have what? Peace. Look at John 20, right? Peace be with you. Where's the peace? It's in him. In me you have the peace. And if you don't understand it, and I need this because my brain's about kindergarten level, and so being at kindergarten level, I need what he says here. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. We catch that one, right? What's the world got to offer for us? Success? It's got to offer eternity? It's got to offer life? No way. It's got to offer problems, 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 trials, 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 and more of it. Anybody hasn't experienced that? Raise your hand. My hand's only up for purposes of observation. It is not real. We are full of tribulation. But watch this. Take what? Come on, folks. Courage. We need courage. I have overcome the world. Don't ever forget that. Jesus Christ has overcome the world, and he is commissioning us. Let me make this practical. The context is that we will have fear, and we will have difficulties, and they are in a real practical way 
though the closest to Christ experiencing that right now, behind closed doors, and they needed to be reminded, the peace is in me. Jesus still calms the storm. Let's be practical right here. Was last week a difficult week for most people? Maybe not for all. I think so. When we look at the nation that we're in, some people were very pleased with the election. Some people were not. We certainly had some very difficult situations. I see Barbara made it down from Maine today. We've been praying for you, Barbara, in all those circumstances. But four of our states, never mind by, and two of them, never mind by law of, of a attorney or a judge, two of our states, the people voted in same-sex marriage. The morals have, been, have gone down. There's a lot to be discouraged about. And you know what? Listen, folks, here's where Christians go wrong. We can get so depressed and so discouraged, you're looking in the wrong place. It isn't a president. It isn't a senator. It isn't laws. It isn't the things that we do on earth where our salvation is found anyway. We should never be thinking that if somebody else is president or somebody else is a senator or somebody else is this, that that's going to save the world. No, only Jesus Christ can save the world. And we go forth with victory and power no matter who's in office, no matter what laws come in. And we need to get our focus of attention back on we have peace in Christ. He's still in control. We have a lot to look forward to as a nation. And don't forget this, we have the biblical responsibility to pray for all those who are in an office, whether we like them or we don't. It's kind of a charge. But we need that. I need that. Because we can get discouraged and talk about all of that. But pick yourselves up in Christ. We're going forth and we have a greater opportunity to be a greater light for Christ in the circumstances that are before us. So we can rest in him. We are his representatives. You notice that in chapter 17? He didn't want to take them out. And in chapter 20, what we're experiencing right now is... Jesus Christ is getting ready to leave, and in a few days, basically a little bit over a month, he's going to leave physically. And they are going to be his representatives. And they need to be encouraged and come back to, look, yes, you're scared of them, but you have peace in me, and you've got a job to do. Why did God leave us here as Christians? Just to bounce through the world, to get old, to lose our teeth, to lose our hair, to lose our sight, to lose our body parts, and all of this, because that's what happens. You know, all of these things go along, and to fall apart, is, is that, and then we go and we die and have a funeral. Is that why we're here? No way. Maybe it's just to produce children and so forth. Well, that's a joyous part of it, too, but that's not it. He left us here so that we would be commissioned in the same way. We have a job to do. We have a message to give, and in, in, even in the practicality of all that just happened, we have the good news. It's not the elections. It's the election of God, if you will. It's God's message in sending the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and that is a great news to bring to the world and to let them see our testimony. We have been made to go forth in the power of Christ. And that's all in, verse, in, in that verse there, verse 21. Peace, as the Father sent me, so I send you. We are the representatives of Christ, and that ought to excite us this morning. We go out of here that no matter what's going on in our life, I'm here to represent Christ, and one day I'll be in my Savior's presence and be able to live with him for all eternity, and then sin will be passed away, and then all tears will be wiped away. Then there will be no more suffering. But right now we're in the world. His disciples are in the world. Christ, was, while he was in the world, faced tribulation and difficulty. But victoriously, right? That song, faith is the victory, our faith in Christ. We ought to be living that way. We ought to be living victoriously. Now, in the context, to do justice to the passage and so forth, in some of the reading that I did, a lot of comments were made in, in verse 20, by the way, just so you understand it technically as well. Uh, verse 21, I'm sorry. Uh, that there are two different Greek words that are used for the word sending, and a lot of time is spent on that. I think it's overly done. I don't think there's a need to. I think, I think the point's missed, and I'm going to tell you why. 
The thing that struck me most in my personal study wasn't the different words that was used, it was the tense of the verb that was used. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? The thing that struck me with this was this, watch. In verse 21, he says, as the Father had sent me, and that is a perfect tense. To me, it's not the different words. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was sent into the world, but his work is continuing. His work is continuing. It reminded me, keep your finger here, of Acts chapter 1. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Watch this. I think it's important for us. In Acts chapter 1, the very first verse, the first account I composed, Theophilus, now watch this, all that Jesus what? Began to teach. Now wait a minute. Dr. Luke's going to write Acts, and Jesus Christ has already been resurrected, and he's going to be ascended in the first chapter. And he's going to write many more chapters. Why? Because the work of Jesus Christ continues. He began it in the Gospels, and he's continuing his work. How? Through us. And to me, the more significant thing in verse 21 wasn't the different words, it was the tense. Jesus Christ started his work, and he's still continuing it. How? By the last part of the verse. I am also sending you. And he's continuing his work because Christ is in us, and he's working right now with the same message that Jesus Christ is. And they had come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They got it. That was chapter 17. They now have it. They now need to give it. And if you're a believer, you got it because God opened up your heart and you believed. And you begin to understand, you know what? It's true. And I'm going to say to you this morning, if you're here without Christ and you look around, it is a scary world. The economy is difficult. I was there not too long ago, as were some others from the congregation. We were over in... Uh, Turkey and Greece, specifically Greece, let me just deal with that. We were there in Greece when some of the riots or some of the protests were going on, saw some of the effects, the economy was terrible, and, and we've been in other parts of the world. And the economy isn't the greatest thing here. And people wonder about elections, and they wonder now about what's going to happen with this cliff of the economy and all of this stuff. The world's looking for something. You got the message. And if you're looking, and you're looking to a president, you're looking to a senator this morning, or you're looking to a relative, or you're looking to a church, or you're looking to religion, it ain't going to give you the answer. It's Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, the only one who is fully God, fully man, because the wages of sin is death. And the penalty had to be paid. And as a substitute, Jesus Christ, the only one who was without sin, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. And we're dealing with subsequent to the resurrection. Why? To pay the penalty for sin, to satisfy the righteousness of God. And we who exercise faith in that work and believe it, are given forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. The only way you will ever have peace with God, you can fool your friends. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your children, those you work with, your neighbors. But deep down inside, you will remain empty. You will not know the one true God and ever have peace with him until you come to believe on the one that he sent, Jesus Christ. But when you believe on him, you have peace with God. And the only way as believers we function, remember we looked at it last week, Philippians 4, the peace of God in a very practical way through the storms of life, through the trials that come, through the difficulties are found in the same place. It's not being anxious for anything, but resting in our Savior because it is in him that we have peace. It is in him. And so it's a marvelous, marvelous verse. How was he sent into the world? And how are we sent? 
Well, we're not sent in this way, obviously. He was sent as the Messiah. We're not the Messiah, but we have the message of the Messiah. He was sent to do the Father's will. So are we sent to do the Father's will. He was set apart with the word of God. So are we set apart. He was sent with the truth to distinguish him from all the others. We are sent with the truth like he is. He was sent to be the light of the world, John chapter 1. How are we sent? Philippians chapter 2. Let your light so shine before this wicked and crooked and perverse world that we live in. Let it shine. We are now lights to the world. They need the message that we have. We are sent. To, he was sent to reveal the Father. We are sent to reveal who the Father is as people want to know who God is. You see, so as he was sent, he was sending his disciples and also with us. We have great news. Could his disciples be successful? Would they be successful? Can we be successful? The answer is yes, but not in our own power. If we go forth in our own power, with our own wisdom, with our own intellect, with our own gifts, with our own attempt, it won't happen, folks. Evidence, all of us, if we're honest as believers, when things happen, we fall apart until we come back to the place that we should be, resting in him, trusting in him, and really, truly applying what it says when greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And what it happens, we get peace. We get joy in him. And so that's the rest of the passage in verses 22 and 23. The flesh is weak. The world's thinking will overwhelm us. The spirit of this world will overcome us. We need God's power working in our life. And he told them that right away. He had already told them this. And he reminds them. So what is the power, verses 22 and 23, for the commission? It isn't us, even as believers, with our own flesh. It's us as believers with the power of the spirit of God working in us and through us. And that's the main point of verses 22 and 23. That's the main point. It is the Holy Spirit, not us. Now, I said I needed to, that's why we never finished last week and never got to these things, obviously with what we have covered this morning, but also there's some important things to deal with here with the Holy Spirit. The task of the commission can only happen in the power of the Spirit of God. What is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, verse 22, there's some questions here. In what capacity is he talking about receiving the Holy Spirit? Did they receive this in the full... Uh, capacity as the New Testament speaks of it. Uh, is this the ability in verse 23 for some religion to come up with the idea of a confessional whereby we confess to people and if they forgive, they forgive, and if they don't, they don't? Is that the map? And by the way, in case you think this is kind of off the wall, some of you may not know this. I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic background. And that's exact, this is one of the texts that they go to for a priest to have a confessional. And, and for this text, it says right there in the scriptures. It's not rightly divided, however. Let's take a look at it. Well, first of all, again, this is, this is something that was significant to me as I looked at it. And I'll give you, that's what I always give you as a congregation when I study is what I feel the Lord is blessing and teaching me with because I didn't see it in commentaries. Verse 22, and when he had said this, it says he breathed on them. That is not what the Greek says. What does it say? He breathed. There is no preposition. It doesn't say he breathed. Now, some say it's implied in whatever. But you notice, even in the text, it's not even written that way. It just says he breathed. And I think because it says he breathed on them, that people go off into all these tangents. You go back to the text, it just says he breathed. In other words, he just said to them, peace be with you as I sent you, as I, excuse me, was sent, I'm sending you, and he took a breath. Is it symbolic? I think it is. Because the Holy Spirit is a breath, and in a sense, when you deal with the word, or the wind, and it was referred to in John chapter 3. But there is no preposition there to begin with, to be true to the text. I think it is symbolic of the wind and symbolic of life because you can go back to Genesis and look at that where God breathed into them life and in, in a sense. 
But I say symbolic, why? This cannot be the receiving of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament sense. Now let me explain that to you. Because he says that he breathed, and then he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He's only reminding them, and it's a symbolic thing, why? I'm going to tell you why. Because the New Testament sense is this, and I need to get to it. In Romans chapter 8, to be simple, verse 9. It says that he who has the Spirit belongs to him. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong. All New Testament believers, since the Lord's ascension, that trust in Christ, have the Holy Spirit, and he never leaves. According to the book of Ephesians, and I want you to catch this, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I just heard a couple of messages on that recently, and I think it really didn't explain it right, because... This is not a sealing like in a jar. That is a way of sealing. What it is, is we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And according to Ephesians, that, that uh, sealing is more like a branding mark. If you think of cattle that are branded, they belong to so-and-so. The Holy Spirit is the branding mark, if you will, of God. Poor application, I know, but hopefully you get the picture. In other words, by having the Holy Spirit, that is our identification, and he is the seal. He's our identification that we belong to Christ, and we are not baptized into the body until we come to Christ. And when that happens in the New Testament sense, we have him forever, and he functions in that capacity. But what about the disciples here? Is this the place where they received him in that capacity? I say to you, no. Why? Several things we studied and what's about to come. Let me show you. Go to John chapter 7. I want you to see it for yourself. John chapter 7, verse 39. Now, this is before this incident, I understand, but watch. But this he spoke. I didn't look at all the context. It's actually the living water context. This he spoke where the, in, in the believer would be flowing out uh, those streams. But... This he spoke of what? The Holy Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because, watch this, Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, what does all of that mean? Well, we studied it, but let me, again, make it simple for you. Go to John 16, our responsive reading. That's why I chose it as the responsive reading. Watch. John 16, verses 7 and 8. Remember this study? But I tell you the truth. Watch. It is to your advantage. Remember the disciples didn't see this. They were crying over the fact that Jesus was going to leave. He says, it's better for you that I go. Why? Watch. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world and so forth. He goes on in that. In other words, it was incumbent for the Lord to be glorified and for him to go away before the Spirit of God came in that capacity. Okay? Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Who have we got here in the text? Verse 6, and when they had come together, who is this? The disciples were there. Which disciples? The same ones that you have in John chapter 20. Watch verse 8. But you will receive power, watch, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, it ain't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. When does it happen? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues and so forth. And you know the text. And what I'm trying to say to you is this. No matter how you want to try and interpret John chapter 20, which is where we want to go back, it has to be interpreted in light of the revealed scripture prior to it in our text and afterwards for what happened. So the disciples in that room did not receive the Holy Spirit in the New Testament capacity that they would receive him in Acts chapter 2, 
because it was essential for Jesus Christ to leave, which happens in Acts chapter 1. So in what sense? I again believe it was symbolic. He breathed and he said, receive the Holy Spirit as a reminder of the fact of what he just said in verse 20 and 21. As I was sent, you are being sent. How? Not in your power. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So they were encouraged in the Spirit. Remember this too. I won't have the time to deal with all of it. Remember this too. The Holy Spirit wasn't restricted to just Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was working in the Old Testament, folks. And he came in and he went out and he ministered and he, he empowered people. And that's what happened. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit wasn't working in the disciples' life while Jesus was on earth. He was. But not in the New Testament capacity. That's what I'm trying to say to you. He was still working. And he would be working in their life pre-ascension but not in the New Testament capacity where after Acts chapter 2, he would indwell permanently and always be there. But even prior to that, they still needed to rest in Jesus and have peace in him and realize that the power had to be in the Holy Spirit's power, not in theirs. And that's the text. As Jesus had the Spirit of God resting on him, and giving him peace, as he still was in the Father, so would that be true with them. He would be empowered for his task, and so would they, as they rested in him, even pre-Pentecost, but certainly more so post-Pentecost. Now, what about this forgiving and retaining of sins? A lot of time could be spent on this as well. The bottom line is this. I will give you the reference. Mark chapter 2 clearly says that the only one that can forgive sins is God. No man, no minister, no priest, no rabbi, no religious figure whatsoever has the authority to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Then what in the world is going on here? The tense of the verbs are again important. As we preach, what he's telling them, if you forgive the sins of any, as they preach, what would they say? If you believe on Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. And notice, they've already been forgiven. If you say that if you don't believe on Jesus Christ, then the sins won't be forgiven. They never will be, unless the people believe on Jesus Christ. And so they could go forth with that authority and preach the gospel with confidence that forgiveness of sins is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you would find that throughout scripture. Go with me to the book of Colossians to save a little time here this morning. I'm running out of time fast. Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see it. Let's first look at verses 13 and 14. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, watch this, in whom we have redemption, the what? Forgiveness of sins. Where is it found? In his beloved son, in redemption, when we come out of the domain of darkness. Go to chapter 2 of the same book. Look at verse 13. When you, in this chapter, he's talking about the life prior to Christ. And watch this, in verse 13. When you were dead, where? In your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. Now watch, in the gospel, he made you alive together with him. Now watch, having done what? Having forgiven us all transgressions. What are we saying? When he was talking to his disciples, he said, you got the powerful message of the gospel. I'm sending you forth. That's your commission. As I was sent forth, you go forth. The message is the truth. And as you do and you proclaim that, look it, I can say to you this morning, if you trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, your sins will be forgiven. That is an absolute truth. And when you do, your sins have been forgiven already in the past by Jesus Christ. Once you exercise the faith, it's been appropriated. 
I can give that authority. And I can also say to you, if you're sitting in that pew today, if you don't trust in Christ, you will end up in hell, in the lake of fire, on the authority of the word of God, because you haven't trusted in the only provision that God has given in Jesus Christ. Your sins will not be forgiven. We have that authority to go forth. There's a lot more I could look at, but honestly, the thing that came to me as I studied again the Word of God, I love this. You people know me well, I hope. I personally believe that the best commentary on the Word of God, what am I going to say? You got it. I, I believe that with all my heart. And I believe the best commentary on John chapter 20, verses 20 to 23, in case you're puzzled by what I said, is the Word of God. What, what do you mean, Pastor Dan? Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 10? This is referring to this incident. This is Cornelius. This is Peter. Guess what? Peter is in chapter 20 of John. And as he's there in chapter 20 and being commissioned and told that you need to rest in me and I will give you the power, it's the Holy Spirit, and, and so forth. And then he talked about the forgiveness of sins. Did Peter understand it as I'm the first pope and I can go and have confessionals? I don't think so. Why? Because of what he says when he goes to Cornelius and he refers back to this text. Watch, just for time, you can read the whole text. I encourage you to read all of chapter 10, but I want you to get the heart of the issue. Watch what he says in verses 42 and 43 of Acts chapter 10. He says this, as he's now going to the Gentiles, he talked about the cross, he says this, and he, that is Jesus Christ, watch, ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge and the living and the dead. That is everything that he's taught. And that is an expansion of it. Now watch verse 43. Of him, that is Jesus Christ, all the prophets bear witness that through him, or through his name, everyone who believes in him, what does he say? Receives forgiveness of sins. He interprets it. You believe in Christ, you receive forgiveness. You don't, you won't. And that is exactly what he's saying in John. When you go forth in the power of God and you go forth and send the message, he says, you will have to go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. You preach the message and whose sins you retain, they will be retained. They have been retained. And whose sins you will forgive, they have been forgiven. Why? Because the gospel message is the only thing that provides the forgiveness. And I'll close with this passage. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If this is new news to you this morning, I want to caution you. Because not only has God provided, you know, I remember as a young child, quite frankly, hearing that the Roman Catholic Church was the one and only true church. And I remember as a child, though I was brought up in that, always thinking to myself, only one way? What about all these other religions? What about all this stuff that's going on? And you know, for a Christian to come along and say that Jesus Christ is the only way, people can wonder, you know, there's many, many other religions. And you know the world we're living in today, we're living in a situation in which there is a combining and a joining together and a mishmash so that it looks like there's no distinction. But let me be simple with you. There is only one way because God's in control. God created it all, and he established the way. And it is not through religion. It is through a person. It is through his son. And it is the only way. But he not only provided the only way, he also provided the means to get it into our hearts and that's chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 18, and I'll wrap it up. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those, watch this, here's the non-forgiveness of sins here, who are perishing. 
But to those who are being saved, watch this. It's the power of God. It's the message. And he goes on in that chapter to say, for someone to do what I'm doing, and I'm going to tell you something, listen up, folks. In Christian circles, there's less of this and more of entertainment. There needs to be more of this because this is the food that we need for the strength to go on and be victorious in Christ. And it is the word of God that, while it's foolish to men, provides the way of salvation. And that is why Paul said in Romans, I am not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who would believe. So, folks, the disciples were encouraged and taken out of their fear by a gracious, loving God who was about to ascend but remind them that your peace is in me. To remind them that I'm sending you forth as I was sent to you. Stick to the message. Stick to the task. And remember, the power is not in you. The power is from the Holy Spirit who now has come. And we've been endowed with that power to be victorious and more than conquerors every day in Christ. And that message is powerful. Your sins can be forgiven if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will not if you don't. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you for your love for us. It is beyond words. It is beyond our comprehension. Who can understand so great salvation? But Father, by your marvelous love, you've opened up our understanding so that in this room, many have come to know Christ. I first of all want to pray for those who have not yet come to Christ. Help them to see that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come unto you but by him. It's not through religion. It's not through this church. It's not through me. It's not through any other religious figure or ancestry. It's only through the gospel, through the work of your son. I pray that you'd open up their understanding so that they would see that their sins, no matter how great, no matter how long, no matter what they've been, will be forgiven in Christ because he's paid the price. Help them to trust in him and believe right there in the pew. For those of us who have trusted, I pray that you'd help us to come back to reality. Father, we're living in a world that has tribulation and trials beyond anything that we can understand. They could be physical, mental. They could be national, world-impacting, of the devil. And yet, Father, our peace is in Christ. Our power is in the Holy Spirit. And Father, help us, as the disciples need to be encouraged, to be encouraged, to go out and live victoriously for Christ. Not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but to go forth in its power and preach the word that others might come to Christ. Help us to see as we are lights in the world that we're to turn the world away from the darkness so that as they're depending upon circumstances, they might turn to the Savior. And I pray you'd help us to be bold in doing that. We ask it in Jesus' name.